Okay, welcome into another episode of the TV Pod. This is a late in the week, but hey, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Just glad this is happening at all. Um, Jeff has been in the process of moving, and uh, I'm getting over a cold. So this has been an interesting week to try and make this happen, but it's happening. So the idea of this episode, Jeff, um, is that we want to do a sort of BYU postmortem. And then a kind of a prognostication, not so much for Texas State, but really for the remainder of Baylor season. Or I guess really more more thinking about looking forward towards Iowa State and kind of this first difficult chunk of Baylor season. Uh, we talked a lot about in the preseason about how, you know, there's only so much analyzing you can do before the season starts because after you get a couple games of information, it can really kind of drastically change your perceptions of a team. You just, you just have so much more information. Um, so that's kind of what I want the theme of this show to be. You know, we have a couple of games. The Albany game was nearly useless. The BYU game, uh, we'll talk about how much meaning we think we can take from that game and what it means uh, going forward for Baylor and uh, kind of reset and think about what we, you know, how our uh, perceptions of the team now compared to uh, what they were in our preseason show. So sound good to you, Jeff? Sounds great. Um, before we do get going, I want to apologize to the listeners for this. Uh, I have a microphone that I have that I bought for this. Um, it is not up right now because I'm currently in my master bedroom on the slab because the floors don't go in until tomorrow. So the, the audio doesn't sound quite as good as it has the last few episodes, but uh, hopefully that'll be fixed within the next week. So apologies to the listener. I think all of our listeners, you know, they've, they've gotten used to your new mic, Jeff, but the true listeners have been with you since the day one where you sounded like you were talking through a tin can. So it's all good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, again, this episode, what we're going to try and do is kind of the first half I'm thinking or so we'll be talking about the BYU game. I'm ignoring like a thousand different things I want to talk about in this game because we're somewhat time constrained. We have about 45 minutes here. So not going to dive into all the details that Jeff and I would love to talk about. We're really trying to keep it focused on what we learned from the game and what it means moving forward. Um, so in that vein, Jeff, of, of not necessarily, I know we want to talk about how Baylor looked running duo and inside zone. I know we want to talk about some of the more nitty gritty stuff from that game. Um, and if we have time, obviously we can, we can throw some mentions into those, but to start off with here, if you, if you could distill this game into one thing on each side of the ball, why did Baylor lose the game in Provo? Oh, uh, that's actually pretty easy to me. Um, they lost the game on offense because they have young kids at the skill position at the skill position levels and on defense, they played well enough to win. And that's kind of it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I have, so I, I should give a little bit of backstory on, on, on me watching this game. I, I um, we were moving on Saturday and we moved Saturday evening was like the, the culmination of several weeks worth of work and then took a week off of work. And by Saturday night, I was just like flat out exhausted. And so I was watching it, you know, at 9.30 and at 12.30 at night, and I needed to go to sleep at like 8 p.m., and I was somehow like <laughs> kind of awake that late. Um, I wasn't fully coherent, and then I went back and got a chance to watch a little bit of it this week uh, with a little bit closer eye. And, I, I you know, I, I tweeted, it's nothing makes for better radio than, than reading off your tweets, but I tweeted this, you know, in the fourth quarter. Um, I thought play, Baylor played really well. I really did. I, you know, they made, they made a lot of early season mistakes because they have a lot of young kids. That's to be expected. Um, I thought they played really well. I thought BYU just played better. And I don't, I don't take away a lot of doom and gloom from this game at all. I actually came away pretty optimistic 
I think more so than I was prior to the game. Um, frustrated that they lost. Um, there were a lot of opportunities there for them to kind of steal one. I think a more senior laden team at the skill position level would have found a way to kind of grind out that game. Um, but you know, I mean, we said, we talked about this a lot, um, in the preseason pods, which was they're young and it's going to take them a while. And and like my takeaway from this, from the, this game is that the skill position guys are young. That's really my takeaway. It's not that they're not talented. It's not that they don't have the ability to be good later on. They're just young. And so that to me was the biggest issue. I thought, I thought the game plan across the board was excellent. Um, there, Aranda and Roberts really like, it's, it's really interesting, you know, listening to it, Aranda is so willing to just tell you what they're going to do in some ways and right. in a way that really striking, you know, and he, ta- he came out, I don't know when or where it was, but he talked about how early in the season they were going to play more zone so they could simplify the back end calls. And that's what they did. They held an NFL quarterback and a highly talented offensive line to 20 points and they would have lost by more if BYU had their stud receivers but it you know I thought they played well like they 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 didn't try to put too much on them in terms of a lot of the more I won't say exotic but they they played a lot of more straightforward uh, they played a lot of two man and stuff like that on third two man very straightforward zone drops yeah a lot more not as much zone match a lot more of just zone drop um, because they knew that not everyone was comfortable with the rules yet. So rather than just willingly blow coverages, the idea was, well, we'll play a little s- simpler on the back end and trust that our defensive line can get home. And they they could for the most part. Um, I think that they definitely fell off. Uh, I I think altitude had a lot to do with that, yeah, to be honest. End, at the end of both halves was when it was really noticeable. Yeah. Um, I think that the altitude basically affected them a lot. Um, I believe Maxwell was hurt a little bit. I, you know, yeah, he didn't look like he was playing at a hundred percent and God knows I'm all over Maxwell in a good way. So, I mean, that just, you know, losing him is, is even partially is a problem for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was happy with the game plan on defense and then on offense. Um, the honest answer is I, I was, I was, Sort of happy with the offensive game plan. I think that the skill receivers made a lot of mistakes. And that that's both at the tight end and at the wide receiver and at the running back. I mean, there are a lot of missed reads. And I don't I don't feel comfortable. If this is a pro, I would name names. Um, I don't feel comfortable doing that on a college podcast because I, I don't I don't like singling out kids that way. But it was across the board. Um, with the skill position guys, a lot of missed blocks. You know, uh, there was the fourth down, the, you know, fourth down in the first half, you know, that came down to they had the right play call on and one of the inside receivers or one of the tight ends just blew the assignment on the block and they lost the play and, you know. They was it a fourth it. down, Jeff? I'm sorry, I'm trying to it remember. Was third, it was a third and one. That's oh, what okay. it was. It was the third one. They went, they went tossed to the boundary and there was a blown, there was a, just a blown block. No other way to put it. Um, and... There was there were just a lot of missed assignments, and there's been some controversy around not trusting Shapin. And I, I when I tweeted about that about how they didn't trust Shapin to bring it home, I, I should have chosen my words more carefully because what I think the, the more yeah, that's where your context of your delirious state of mind is helpful. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think the more accurate representation of that is 
they didn't trust the passing game. And the passing game is in concert with your block, your quarterback, and your deployed receivers um, all working in concert with each other. And that just wasn't working that night. I think think that's really helpful to point out, Jeff. Like, And we'll talk about this more here in a few minutes. But Baylor's passing game didn't – when I watched the game live, and I'm sure if you, I don't think there is a recording of my little live session thing I did at halftime, but Shapin's errors in the first half really stuck out to me. <clears throat> and I think they kind of over, uh, over emphasized themselves um, when I was thinking about his game. I thought he played really, really poorly in the first half. Upon review, he still didn't have a good first half. Um, but I think overall, when I rewatched the game, um, I feel pretty good. I feel a lot better about Shapin now than I did um, the moment after the game ended. And the reason for that is because, yes, he probably had three, four, five, six plays in that game that he just like looks back on in film, wishes he could burn them, you know, knows that he clearly messed up. But the problem with the passing game, as you were alluding to there with with the entire passing game being, you know, the pass protection, the QB decision making, and then the wide receiver skill play is that it seemed like nearly every time they tried to take a shot, I think at least one person across the board there really messed up. And it wasn't always the QB. Sometimes yeah. it was just one of the O-linemen. Sometimes it was the tight end. Sometimes it was the running back and the pass protection. Some, and, and surely we don't have the all 22 from the broadcast tape only, but surely the wide receivers messed up a time or two. So I think that's what you really get to by the end of the game when Aranda said there was hesitancy in the past game. Um, I think they really kind of, unless they had to, they, they were like, why would we risk – on this second and six, why would we risk an incomplete pass or a sack when we know that we can get this down to third and three? I mean, there was just no reason for them not to anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think particularly, you know, we, we don't know this without all 22 tape, but my, my takeaway from my takeaway, and this is speculation, but my takeaway with Shapin's performance was that a big part of why he was, and why I don't feel comfortable quite going to where he like, I mean, he missed throws. Everybody misses throws. Okay. Everybody misses throws. But I mean, he's not Haynes King. Like, let's be very clear on that. Yeah. Haynes King. Haynes A&M King looks terrible. I mean, he looked like, I mean, let's just be very clear. He looked like trash. Like I, he just, he, there's a stat I read today from around him that was like comically bad. He was not Haynes King. So let's, let's disabuse everyone of that notion. Um, but the, what I saw was, when you go through your reads, you're expecting wide receivers to be in certain, or not necessarily wide receivers, okay, but you're expecting your deployed personnel to be in certain areas of the field so that you can make your read and move on to the next person as part of the progression. And what I feel reasonably confident in is that oh, there were a bunch of plays in the first half where they would he would drop back and he would look like he wasn't sure what was going on. Because yeah, like, where are these guys? He's looking for guys to be in spots, and he doesn't have the maturity yet to know that just be like, if the guy's not there, immediately move on to the next one. Right. And so you saw a bunch of times where there's like, they had a bunch of outlet guys that they planned on, uh, you know, I call them outlet, basically guys in the flats um, that they had a lot, and he Checked didn't come guys. back with one of those guys. Yeah. And they didn't, those safety outlets, like they he didn't come back to those guys. I, I really do think because his timing was so off because guys weren't where they were supposed to be in the progression of the play. And that was really messing with him. And so when you combine that with playing at BYU at night, at altitude, I just, it, I get it. 
you know, I just get it. Like, it's not this game, you know, it's, it's never fun to lose. Um, but I, that's, that's my takeaway. I wish I had the all 22 for this game because yeah. I'm really, really like, I just, I don't think we can tell the full story or know the full story without looking at that. But I, I it's very telling to me that they, they were willing to put Shapen in throw positions at the, at the end of the first half. But by the end of the second half, they basically had removed that from the playbook. And so I, this is a guess. I don't know that. But it, that sounds like there's a conversation going on on the headset. And someone together is just kind of saying, like, these guys don't have it. Like, we just – it's not there. That's probably – like, to run it yeah. that much in that situation is almost certainly a decision by the head coach to say, we don't have it let's try to run this and put ourselves in the best spot and go Look. from there. Because you're definitely like they, they had by the second half, they had the run game. And there's one thing I do want to mention about this because coaches won't say this. Coaches would never say this. And most fans don't like to say this because it's, it sounds like a cop out, but I do think it's true. Um, I, I do think the law tech cancellation, I'm not going to say it cost them the game entirely, but I do think that was a major component of it. Context because here. I just want to interject, Jeff. So Baylor was supposed to play Louisiana Tech to start the year. Louisiana Tech has a new head coach, Sonny Cumbie. Uh, they canceled the game for understandable reasons. You don't want to start off your career by getting pummeled by Baylor. So Baylor had to, you know, La Tech bought their way out of that game contractually. And then, so that's why Baylor had to play Albany, which just something you and I talked about for that game is that game might actually be a net negative. And I think, I what think we're, get, where we're getting to here is that it might, that it might've reared its head here at BYU. I do. Well, and by the way, there's no, there's no to steal a line ball. Don't lie. Like they got smoked by 30 in Missouri. So they spent several hundred thousand dollars to get their ass kicked by Missouri instead of Baylor. So my, my funny company thoughts there are like, you ran away. Like, were you scared of losing to Baylor by 40 there? Like, I'm not real sure what the difference is. Like yeah. Baylor would smack Missouri right now if they played. So congratulations on spending money you didn't need to spend and didn't have. Um, you could tell them a little bitter about that. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the first really, I thought that the offensive line was really, I think, discombobulated is about the only yes. word that comes to mind. They were just all over the place the first four or five drives. And it, they, you know, they didn't play well. They were they were unsure of themselves. They weren't physical. And it just it took them like a quarter and a half. And I think it was the last I don't have my drive chart. Last drive of the first half, yeah. Well, they, it was, I, well I think it was the last two. Maybe it was the last one or the last two. I'd have to go back and look. But then you could see them kind of warm up. And then at that point, they were good. But particularly in the first quarter, like the run game wasn't working because you when you play a, when you play a team as bad as Albany, you really can't go all out because it, it's all it, it's you know it's almost and I don't mean this overly dismissive, but it's kind of a factual statement. Like you don't want to injure somebody when you know you're going to beat them by 130 points. Like no one really wants to do that. Like the Baylor guys don't want to go in there and just beat the ever-loving crap out of the Albany kids when they're not putting up any resistance. I mean, it's like it's like moving against, not air, but close to it. I mean, Baylor didn't play all that great in a lot of ways against Albany, and they still put 69 on the board, which was a pretty nice score. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> but, you know, like the, the lack of the lack of ability or chance to stretch your legs against a competent opponent. And even if they had beaten La Tech by 30 or 40, which I think they probably would have, 
that's still a competent opponent in a way that Albany was not. Like, yeah. I mean, they could have, if, if they're going flat out, Baylor could have beaten them by like 120 points. Like that's not a competent, that's not a competent game. Yeah. And so that, I think that really cost the offensive line in particular in the first half because they were not, they were not comfortable with what was going on. They weren't comfortable with the physicality that was going on. And once they got used to it and credit to Mateos, he, you know, he, I thought he coached a really good game. He made a few adjustments with how they were, they, they knew what they wanted. BYU knew what they wanted to run. They came up with some stuff to adjust to that and Mateos adjusted back, but there were still some physicality issues that I think would not have been there um, if they had been able to play La Tech. So the, and that's a long way of getting back to if they had been comfortable in the run game from the beginning, yep. I think they could have ground this game out a little bit more yep. because once the offensive line started really getting control of themselves at the end of the second quarter, um, they ran the ball pretty well after that point. Um, and I think it's so, worth interjecting there real quick, Jeff. Um, the way Baylor's offensive line was playing by the end of the game, <clears throat> I don't think there was really much meaningful difference from how well they played against BYU in Waco last year. I think the reason yeah, you didn't I think the reason that uh you know how you you've we've talked about before how the wide zone like your the play is designed to get, you know, four yards every time and then if the running back does something better, um, you know, you get more than that. And if the running back misses the read, you might do worse than that. I think what a lot of what you saw in this game was Baylor's offensive line for the majority of basically second half onward um, blocked well enough for those backs to get five yards every play. And sometimes we saw the backs hit the wrong hole. And then we just never saw a back outside of a couple carries by squirrel where he was able to turn those five yard plays into more like nine, 10, 11 yard plays. Um, we just saw that Baylor's backs just aren't at the level there that they need to be to kind of make that, you know, here's the thing, cause you can ground out four yards at a time. And I think that's what you saw Baylor do. And it was effective, but you'd much rather be hitting a couple of 18 yarders every now and again in there. And that's what I think really started to hurt Baylor in that second half was that, and a big reason why they only had four drives was because they were being successful offensively, but they were they were all they were these long drives, um, yeah. and I think the game would have broken open more from them if they had had a back who was able to really kind of break things open. And unfortunately, we never saw that happen. Um, yeah, go ahead. John. I think Squirrel. I think one thing on that, I would agree with you. I think Squirrel was on a um, was on a some sort of play. pitch count. Yeah, yeah, some sort of pitch count. Um, I, that that seems the way that they used him selectively. Three carries in the first half. Three carries. They really kind of used him when they knew they needed him a lot more, which I thought was pretty telling. Um, well, I one think thing about that, the, like fourth and three. Um, yeah. In over, maybe it was in overtime when they were just like we. It was. I think it was really telling that there was a few different times in this game where Baylor had like got to have it situations in short yardage, and they would just straight up give Squirrel the ball on on wide zone. Um, yeah. I thought that was really telling. There was the fourth and three yeah. that he converted, and then the holding call actually on Ben Sims came on a third and three. Um, in overtime and it was just straight up wide zone. And I think that kind of tells you like they know where they're, but they know that they can't rely on just doing that all season. So they've got to get these other kids playing up to his ability. Sorry. I know I've interrupted you several times here, Jeff. You're good. No, no, you're not interrupting me. Like it's, you're just, you're making a like as the point comes to you, you say it, which is kind of the point we're just talking. But I, one thing that did stand out to me a little, and I don't know how they're going to manage this. We talked about, we you use the phrase, name yourself the starter a lot. <sighs> It's like they have – I think they have too many running backs. 
And I, what I mean by that is, it's one thing when they did it last year with Abram and Ebner, which was, we're going to give each of you 15 carries at minimum a game, and we're going to see who's the better back by mid-October. But both those guys were able to kind of get into zones. Like, 15 carries is enough to get, you yep. know, as Eric used to say, properly lathered up in the flow of the game. Yep. Um, but... You know, when you're trying to balance it between four guys and you're only getting these dudes like like Squirrel gets three touches in the first half and then, you know, Reese gets a handful of runs and then it's like four drives later and, and you know, from wall clock time, it's an hour and 45 minutes later, then he's back in the game on a drive. Like, it's hard when you get that much of a break to really get yourself into the flow of the game and to get the reps you need in terms of running against those fronts. And I think the Um, flow that you're talking about here, which is so important in wide zone, is feeling how those fronts play for when you can hit the full cutback. And something we didn't see any back even really attempt this game is really try and go back against the full end of the grain. We'd see them hit the cutback into that front side B or A gap, uh, Mm -hmm. but we never saw them really take it all, wind it all the way back like we saw so many times with Abram and Ebner last year. And I think a big part of that is because you, you that is a that's a flow state like mentally like that's a flow state for a running back. They're not thinking when they make that big giant cut. Um, so I think that's an important point there. Um, again, sorry, I, I'm going to apologize one more time for interrupting Jeff. I'm sorry. Um, I, have a, I have a few quick uh, hitters here before I think we probably should transition towards more forward thinking. Um, one really quick point. Um, one area you see wide receivers, young wide receivers struggle with a lot is physical corners that know how to play press. And I think um, that is part of what you were alluding to, Jeff, when you were talking about young skill players and what they struggle with in this game. And specifically when you talked about how Shapin's timing seemed to be off, where like he'd be looking in that spot, expecting the receiver to be there. And all of a sudden, like who knows what happened, maybe Hal or Seth or somebody else just got held up at the line. And like he's expecting them to be at 12 yards off the ball at that point, and they're, and they're still fighting the press coverage. I know Aranda mentioned press coverage was an area they needed to improve against. So I'm guessing that was part of it. Um, was is that, is that something you would agree with most likely? Yes, it, it, absolutely. I mean, he in uh, one of the things that is really nice. If you're wanting to learn more about football, I would strongly encourage everyone just to watch the Dave Aranda. Yeah, just to watch it. Um, and it's to is to watch his press conferences because his press conferences are great. Like he is willing to he's willing to go a little bit beyond the football speak or the coach speak. And he won't go into in too much into detail. And he will, if you ask him, but he'll be very straightforward with what they were good at and what they struggled with, mm-hmm. you know, and you, I think that the average fan can take what he says at face value in a way that you couldn't always do, particularly in the case of um, Art Bryles was really bad about this, which was like, you know, it, you, whenever you go into a press conference with art, you had, I mean, everything was always the most incredible thing. Like, you know, we got these studs and they're like, you know, pulling down Hail Mary catches and throwing the ball 95 yards. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're doing, we're doing squats at 1300 pounds. I mean, it was like, it was super exaggerated stuff from him because that's how he, that's how he coached. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of value in listening to his press conferences because it was the same thing every, every, every single time. Uh, Aranda doesn't give you that. Um, he is much more deliberate and straightforward and honest about uh, what's going on with the team. Um, and so that's when he says stuff like that, I think it's a very, it's a crucial point and it's worth fans thinking like, if you really want a good recap, it, it, 
I would actually say like listening to his press conferences usually is the way to go because you'll get really good information assuming there's a reporter in there um, that knows the questions to ask. Yeah. So, yeah. That's um, and a, another quick thing I wanted to mention um, with Grimes being an offensive line coach forever. I remember he was only an OC for a couple of years before he came to Baylor at BYU. Um, we've we've kind of joked before about how when Ron when Ron Roberts Baylor's defensive coordinator is kind of pushed up against the wall, he resorts to pressure because like that's at the end of the day like that's what he believes in as a, as a coordinator and that's what he's going to do when his back's up against the wall. Um, you know I think about that Iowa State game last year where you know when Iowa State was tearing Baylor up like Ron just resorted to basically pulling every pressure out of the out of the playbook that he yeah. had there, and I think you are probably going to see a similar thing with Jeff Grimes. Um, on the reverse for him being when their backs against the wall and they have one guy to have it drive, um, you know, and this is to be determined. We'll see the rest of this year and whether this changes with shape in, but if they're competent running the ball, I think you're going to see them say like, this is just like who we are. We, we run wide zone. Um, you know, they've got a few little more wrinkles now, but it's just like, that's what they've been ingraining in these kids. And I think that's like at the central ethos of what they believe in as a team. So I think you're going to continue to see that as much more. So I think, yes, you have to take in all their passing struggles into account as well. But I think also a big part of it is just like at the end of the day, if he thinks they can get four yards running, running wide zone, kill some clock and then go win the game on a field goal or whatever, I think, that is like something that he's going to basically take a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. I, the other thing that I think is worth pointing out is that the offensive line has made some, some significant improvements and I, I it wasn't ev- evident to me the, on the first, on the first watch Saturday night, but there was and uh, you, you actually showed me this play. I, I remember seeing it when I rewatched and you, you, you showed me this play at a later date, but there was a, uh, I think it was an inside zone. Um, I think it was an IZ to, the field and uh gal just kind of got blown up at the snap trying to do a reach block he couldn't get there and the guy that the defensive tackle basically got under his pads blew him up and pushed him about three or four yards back right at the snap and last year what would have happened right there is gal wouldn't have known how to really recover and that play would have just been dead at the lo- yeah it would have been a loss and what he was able to do is, even though he knew he got beat, um, he was able to get his hips into the hole and seal the guy off. And even though it disrupted the timing of the run, it was still like a one or I think it was a two yard gain instead of a three yard loss. Mm-hmm. And those there are a lot of those type of plays where you can see the coaching coming in around how they recover when they get beat or how they uh, move off and kind of where their hands are, where their hands are uh, when they're getting up to the second level. A lot of those little things I think were done a lot better. Um, I even going back to the, uh, even go back to the old miss game. I can see their technique being Mm -hmm. a lot better. Maz looked really good. I thought Galvin looked, you know, pretty good honestly like into the second into the second quarter um he got he really i think pulled it together and just i don't mean pulled together in negative like they just had to get warmed up i really think is what it was but there there's a lot of little technique things that they did better this year than than i can remember them doing last year so i'm i'm excited to see i'm excited to see where where that offensive line goes i the final part of that is i you know health is going to be a big issue i thought buyers played well in reserve duty um but at the same time um excited for keith 
Yeah, excited for Keith. And I, I just, just I, I, you know, both those statements are true. I thought Byers played pretty decently for yeah. as a reserve guy, um, but he doesn't have the upside that Keith does. Like Keith, you know, I don't know that he's going to be an NFL OT, but he does have the potential to get there. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, what if they had him on the right on the right side, yeah. like leading that charge? Like that's that's a lot of fun to think about. So, I, you know, I'm. I'm I'm really like not even cautiously like I'm still really optimistic cool. about the season. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, I know we got to kind of transition here. I just wanted to say this statement because I actually had an OU person uh, send this to me in in my DMs, and he was just like, he actually said he was like, um, Baylor's defense looks absolutely incredible um, in this BYU game, and I was like, yeah, I feel really good about them. And he was like, yeah, BYU is a really really good offense. Um, and again, this is an OU fan who doesn't like Baylor. He was like, you know, BYU is an amazing offense and Baylor just lost on the road in double overtime. And for BYU to get their two touchdowns in, in regulation, they had to throw up a 50-50 ball with two seconds left in the first half and do a wide receiver double pass in the second half. And I was like, well, when you put it that way, and of yeah. course you can always frame things like in the most positive light for any team in a close game. I think that's something fans always do. What if this play had gone this way, et cetera. But there is a certain amount of reality to that statement. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is a very close game. So either side could say different things, but I think given what you expected, and I know you hammered this home on our, on our preseason episode, the struggles you expected from the skill positions offensively early in the year. Um, I thought that Baylor would be able to run their way through their problems against BYU in this game. That was really what I was hanging my hat on. Um, I still think maybe if they had gone all the way in on squirrel from snap one, they might've gotten there, but that's a big coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I understand why they need to get all these guys reps at this point. But at the end of the day, I think to summate, summate this game, I think it's a lot more, uh, would you agree with this statement, Jeff? Um, Baylor was a, is a team right now who has a lot of small things to fix at basically every position. And this is more towards offense than defense, as opposed to a team with glaring holes that we're not sure how they're going to fill them in the remainder of the season. I I, I almost want to say that, um, the Iowa state game will really tell that, uh, yeah. the, the thing I, that I did say on the preseason pod was that, you know, I, I thought they were going to lose um, this game. I, you know, from me and you, you I, literally I, this, said good grief to me when I said, I'm not worried about the BYU game. You were like, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? So kudos to you there. <laughs> I, it's, I mean, honestly, like I, I thought this was like going to be one possession more, but in terms of points, like I thought this was going to be more of like a 31 20 or excuse me, like a 30 23 type game. Um, where it's uh, at the end and it ended up being the defenses just ended up being a little better than I expected. Um, but the flow of the game, I to toot my own horn, like I, I do like this is what the game I expected. And this is the game that uh, when we were talking offline, like this is the game I thought we were going to see. And it is the game that we saw. Um, but it's yeah, I, it just it's not, you know, the one thing I also want to say, I don't remember what I was the where point I was driving. At, I'm sorry. Um, but the, when I look at it, like there's also people that have really hammered on the idea that there's been a lot of, there were a lot of penalties and some stuff like that. And yeah, there were a lot of penalties in that game, but I would point out to anyone that, uh, Nick's, uh, Nick Saban coached Alabama team went into Texas and had more penalties, not more penalty yards, but had more penalties than Baylor against Texas and should have been called for significantly more penalties than they actually were in that game. Um, Going on the road with 19, 20, and 21-year-olds 
is hard. Like, it's a true road game. Um, going into a true road game this early in the season, like, there's a reason a lot of schools don't do that. Um, because it's just, it's really, really hard. And if you, anything like what we saw, if there's any type of growth like what we saw last year, I am excited about the team because a lot of what we saw really is fixable. And that was my, I thought if we lost the BYU game, that it was going to be because of fixable issues. I still think that. And I do. The issue that I will really want to see is, is to beat, to really be able to beat Iowa State, you need to be able to have a solid quick throw game. Yep. You know, and that is, that's the one where if they can go on the road and beat Iowa State and the quick throw game, it doesn't have to look good. It has to be um, serviceable. If the quick throw game is serviceable in that game and they're able to iron out where they're at on wide zone over the next uh, next couple weeks, then I feel really, really good. Like then that's the point where I say, yeah, we're, we're we, but the team is good. Yeah. Um, what I don't know yet is are you know what you asked me what my best my best realistic and worst case scenarios were, and they all evolved, revolved around when the offense would be able to pull it together. Yeah. Um, the worst case scenario is that a form of what we saw with the skill position players persist throughout the whole year. Yeah. Okay. And that's that is that is that is a possibility. And I think mm-hmm. that's. You know, seven win probably like a six to seven win team i would actually seven probably a seven win team if that happens um if that you know but if those guys are significantly better by iowa state and if that sounds insane i would point to you to the tcu game last year and then the oklahoma game the week afterwards with a dramatic i mean dramatic change in how good the defensive line the defensive front played in that game um it's, I mean, it's eminently reasonable that they'll be able to do that. So the Iowa State game and the quick throw game is where I would I would point fans to. If they can come out of that game and that looks pretty serviceable, it's going to be good. If they come out of that game and they they do that well, it's yeah. going to be like it's going to be a really good season. And I I don't, you know, I yeah I think I, that's probably. But as we start to talk like transition into projection stuff, I just I'm still not really concerned. I mean, we we talked about the. Um, the P word earlier, like the only thing that this game really affected was that possibility, but they're not like from what I've seen in the big 12 right now, I still think they're the favorites. I really do. I mean, and and I, I had a couple of people come at me and be like, Hey, like you need to adjust your stuff now. And I'm like, but wouldn't you You just put BYU number one in the big 12 right now? I mean, they look like the best team in the big 12. So like, I don't really feel like it causes that much of a calibration. Yeah, if BYU is in the Big 12, I would pick them to win the Big 12. Yes. So BYU, looks, BYU looks like a top 10 team, yep. and Baylor looks like a top 10 team to me. They don't look like neither – I will say this. BYU does not look like a team that could grow into a top five team. They right. look closer to capped out. Baylor is a team that does look like they could grow into a top five team. Um it just there's so much room for growth on the team right now yeah. for them to play that well with that many young guys in the secondary and the skill position levels yep. um and without a warm-up game and i i will harp on that again without a warm without a, a real negative warm-up, warm-up game <laughs> a negative warm-up game for them to play that well is i mean like someone asked me uh, a few days ago he's like do you really think that Baylor would have beaten Oklahoma? Absolutely. I really do. Oh yeah. If Baylor, I mean, if Baylor had played Oklahoma and Norman instead of Oklahoma playing Utah, Baylor would have won that game. There is like, 
almost zero doubt in my mind about that. I don't know that that will be the case in November, but I do know that that was based off what I saw this past weekend. That was the case this past weekend. Yeah. Um, I like, I'll be honest. Like I was not, I was not as impressed with UT as I think some people were from, I didn't see all that game in fairness, but from what I did see, I, you know, they have, UT has a lot of really significant, significant issues that they were not going to be able to solve this year. They can't solve the linebacker problem. They can't, they can't solve their offensive line problems this year. They can't do that. They're just too young. Um, And the, what so the issues that they have they can't really solve now they may be good enough in other areas to really significantly overcome that but they don't have the upside that baylor does for 2022 so you know when i start to look around at at how these teams are playing like west virginia who i thought was really honestly pretty good like they look like crap right now. Like either Kansas. I know you're gonna is- hate. I know you're gonna hate on my on my Cyclones, but I love where Kansas State and, Cy- and Iowa State are at right now. But I, I do. I, I'm a much bigger Kansas. I, I'm a much bigger Kansas fan. The Iowa State thing. I can't. I just. It's so hard for me to take them seriously sometimes because I just their offensive line issues are. Yeah, they're they're always there. They're always there, and they don't they don't have Bryce this year. And like that's when I watched a little bit of that Iowa game. That, that was really what I came back to was, yeah, how is this team going to score twenty four points against Baylor? I really don't know how they do that. Oh yeah, if, no, I don't so, think they can. Well, yeah. hey Jeff, we got like we got like what ten minutes left here, so I want to make sure we. Okay, I want to make sure we uh, you know kind of really look towards uh, what little we care about this Texas State game this week, and then really kind of point fans towards that Iowa State game. You talked about it with um, with Baylor's passing game and how we're going to learn so much in this Iowa State game. Um, I think the way I phrased it in our chat earlier today, I was like, it is amazing how much of a litmus test that Iowa State game is going to be in a couple of yeah. weeks. Um, and the reason for that, for anybody who's like, wait, why, are you, why do y'all care so much about this Iowa State game? The reason for that is because the reason why Iowa State has become so good on defense is not because they started recruiting at a top 30 level. They have terrific coaching. And what their coaching staff has done is they've instilled a great culture. They play hard. They tackle well. And they all know where they're supposed to be. But, of course, they they just don't have the talent other teams do. So what they do, their style, what they do is they basically say, if you can execute on 10 plays in a row, you're going to score. That's just like how it's going to work. If you don't shoot yourself in the foot, if you can complete this slant, if you can just not blow a block, you're going to score. That's just how it's going to work. I mean, that's that's an oversimplification, right? That's not what they're saying in their meeting rooms. But like compared to most teams, especially most teams that play top defense, that's kind of how it works against them. The thing is, most college offenses can't execute 10 plays in a row without messing up, and that's why it's a good bet for them. And so what we're going to see when Baylor plays them in a couple weeks, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk next week, Jeff, is you know we're going to know whether Baylor can do that. We're going to know whether Baylor can can execute some base down passing. And so the how I want to frame this for our last you know 10 minutes here, Jeff, is are we going to be able to learn anything against Texas State that is going to tell us whether that is going to happen against Iowa State? Or is this fully – I don't think this – this game isn't a waste in the sense that Albany was because Texas State is terrible, but they're not a, they're not a bad FCS team. Um, Baylor's going to have to try hard to beat them. But is there anything that you have your eye on in this game um, specifically for Baylor's offense that is going to tell you anything as to how they'll perform in Ames a couple weeks from now? Yeah, I, the the big one for me will be will be watching running backs. Um, that 
running back vision is something that is unless you're playing unless you're playing Albany and yeah. the whole you know gargantuan. The read um, is the read. You have to read. The read is the, yeah, the read is the read. That's right. The read is the read. And they you know against Albany they clearly went into that game with a we're going to throw the ball a lot because we got to work on our pass. And then, you know, they came out and they ran that first, the first drive of the second half against Albany where they put their foot down and said, like, we're going to run the wide zone. We're going to get this established. We did it. Okay, moving on to the backups. Um, I think that what we're going to see against Texas State is it, that's, that's, that's what I would really watch for is do the, are there running backs outside of Squirrel that are starting to develop any type of comfortable vision? Because yeah. they're not like, they're not going, you know, there may be a game in November where they decide, Squirrel, you're getting 34 carries and you're carrying us. <laughs> That's not going to happen before November, okay? And as we saw, honestly, like as we saw against BYU, they'll lose the game. I mean, just yeah. flat out. Like, I mean, they the they options probably would have won if they gave them 30 carries, but they just said they we're give, not going to do they that. Given, if they had given Squirrel 35 carries, they would have won that game, assuming he didn't get injured, right? honestly. But, you know, they – I, I, I do think that's true. I really do. Um, and Aranda went into that and said, well, he's on a pitch count and we got to make sure we got to make sure that every running back has the opportunity to get their touches in and we've got to see who our guys are. And that's outside of squirrel. Like I would run him a little bit in this game, but I really wouldn't run him that much. I would pay play him as a backup because a, you don't want to get the miles on him, but you know what you have with, with squirrel. What they need to do is they got to find someone else. They've got to find some, whether it's Quaylen or Tay or. It and sucks I don't, that Tay probably won't play, given that he had a concussion in the game. Too. Yeah. Well, I. I well, I mean, a presumed know. concussion. I mean, he took a shot to the chin and then never came out. That's yeah. that's about as clear. I mean, as that, was, that was that. I, I'm a little uncomfortable with that play, like in terms of targeting, like the fact that the ball he is the ball carrier makes me feel like it's not, but it's also like. You know, it's just a tough. It's a tough beat considering what happened with um, with uh, Doyle later in the game. Because yeah. um, I really think, like with Doyle, that was really more the guy who jumped in the air. Yeah, and that was that's why that particular play happened more than Doyle just wanting to be a headhunter, which he has no. There's no evidence of him doing that in the past. Yeah. Um, but that that's really what I look at. Be the running backs. The other thing, like, and and if you're at the game, you'll be able to tell this, but. You won't be able to see this on TV, um, but what are the wide receivers doing? Like, are they, uh, is that, is, are, does that, are the deployed wide receivers more in sync than they were, honestly, against Albany? And I'm sure against, um, for sure against uh, BYU. Yeah. Uh, both those, Texas State is not a good opponent, but they are good enough that it is a decent it's a decent warm-up test in yeah. terms of like where can you beat press go? coverage like how do you do like uh, in a 1v1 opportunity downfield catching the ball contested that kind of stuff i mean against albany those guys are just wide open like that doesn't tell you anything so yeah i yeah. think you'll be able to all we knew after albany was that physically these guys could do it but physically obviously was not really a question mark we had entering that game yeah. so yeah Defensively, I, I do think that I'm actually more interested in the defensive stuff because I think this is gonna this is the first game where from a secondary perspective, I think they can start mixing in some of the more complex calls. Yeah. Um they won't do it every drive, they won't do it every play, but there will be certain drives and situations where they decide, okay, we're gonna run our traditional zone match stuff on this this down. And we'll start to see them get used to that. I think that you, it won't be a, they're not going to turn the light switch on that, but they, they have to start practicing that in game. 
and I think we'll see more. That my guess, I don't know, but my assumption is that we'll see we'll see that start to be mixed in starting with this game, and we'll probably really come to the forefront after the bye week. But you know, particularly prior to if they go into a zone game against um, against uh, Oklahoma State, like that's going to be problematic. Yeah. So they're they're going to have to figure out or just pure zone, like pure country coverage, like you know, throughout the game. Um, so they're going to have to get that figured out a little bit more over the course of the next week, yeah. um, a couple weeks. So that's that's the part of that I would I would be interested in. And then on the front, like you also those just real quick, yeah. Jeff, you you can't be static against Iowa State. I don't want to dive too much into this, but Iowa State moves Xavier Hutchinson all over the field to hunt matchups, and so they're not a team that you can you can't give their offensive coordinator a clear picture of what you're going to do before the down is snapped. Otherwise they're just going to put Hutchinson against the, you know, your worst guy and then just have him eat. So I think they've got to be able to mix it up on the back end against them. Yes, they will. You know, we can talk about that later, but that's a hundred percent. Like they'll have a lot of, they'll have a lot of um, bracketing calls for him yep. for sure. When they move him around. And sorry, one more real quick note on defensively, Texas state is like very much, like if Spavadol came up under Holgerson, they're a team where like it doesn't matter the down and distance. If they look pre-snap on that check with me stuff and see that one of their wide receivers is left solo, like they're just going to throw the ball downfield. They're just going to yeah. do it. And so I'm not really scared of that in this game because like, I actually like Baylor's corners, but I think we will know more like these aren't great wide receivers, but playing the ball downfield does take technique and it takes intelligence and it takes athleticism, all that kind of stuff. So I think we will know more in this game, just purely like how Baylor's corners and safeties just hold up downfield in one V one coverage. Yeah, so I think I'm, that I'm, we will learn that. Yeah. I'm very interested to see what their corners do. Cause the Aranda wants to press when they run that press quarters from a technique perspective, is that stuff accurate? Like that, that will be absolutely interesting. I think, and the last thing I'll say on the front and what we could expect to see is I, I want to see, I think I want to see a little bit more from a couple of guys. Yep. And same. the, it's not. Jeff, can I just, just, I just want to frame this, this, as you talk about this, um, Baylor elected to really kind of just, they didn't do any sort of, exotic pressuring against BYU. It was very much a, like a sporadic creeper here and there, but it was mostly just leaning on their front. So can you talk about wanting to see more from that front? Uh, Cause obviously they were tremendous in, in run uh, in their run technique. Um, and I'm guessing what you're going to talk about is like their ability to just win one V one in the pass rush. Um, yeah. So hopefully we can use that as a, as a frame for your discussion here. Yeah. I, the, you know, what they, what, the the pristine version of this offense or the, the, this defense is literally press quarters for every single play of the game, and that may sound absurd, but it's like if you have the quarters to do it and you have the deep the the defensive line to stop the run, and then you have the edge guys to generate pressure, it's kind of an unbeatable defensive yeah, front. You don't system. have to do anything else. <laughs> you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to call any blitzes. You don't have to call any complex coverages. You don't do anything. You just run it, and it works, and you know, you you win the game. Um, they the pass rush from from the the down four was just not not where I would have wanted it to be, and part of that was getting outside. Like some of it was getting outside of lanes. I do think the altitude played is rather significant part, think part of it was that they were afraid of letting hall escape the pocket somewhat maybe being a little bit too tentative there it, it i think that could be it i also think byu's offensive line like they're good 
Yeah, they're, so they're definitely I, good in pass protection for sure. You're good at pass protection. Like it's not like they're playing Texas Tech or something where it was like. And I mentioned Texas Tech because I watched that Texas Tech you uh, uh, Houston game, and on one of the biggest plays of the game, they had their offensive line cut block to throw a pass <laughs> because they were so bad that the only thing they could do was cut block yeah. and hope that they cut those guys Just get in so the they, way. <laughs> yeah, so they could stand there for three seconds and get the ball off on a on a on like a twelve yard stick route. I mean, it's just really, really bad. Um, Baylor, you know that that's not BYU. Like they their offensive line was good enough to win a lot of one on ones. They they did some stunning. They didn't do as much as I expected. They really, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't know if they thought they were going to win more one on ones or if they just decided they were going to keep that maybe a little simpler because they didn't want to put too much on tape. I, I really, do, I really couldn't tell you because um, they didn't, you know, even some of the stuff that they did against, you know, it's the same guys, but they weren't running nearly as much complex stuff up front as they did against like Oklahoma state. And mm. it's, I mean, it's literally the same, the same defensive line and, and um, Jack. So it, it's what they're able to do there. It's going to be, I, I'll be interested to see that, but against BYU, like I, the pass rush there just was not, it just wasn't good enough, and there's no way to put it. There were a couple of guys that I that part of it was that I think there's some other guys. I think honestly, there were some guys that just didn't play as well. I can think of two in particular that I they didn't play poorly, but I wanted yeah, to nobody see, played poorly, but it was just they needed nobody, a, they needed a finisher, and they just they didn't quite have that. Yeah, and I think that's worth stating. Like you'll you know, people that know football know that this may have been like there's a decent chance that's the hardest game Baylor will play this year. Oh, I, fancy think, to, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's you know the Big Twelve title game if they get there will be more pressure. I mean, it just you can't compare those two things like pressure in this game versus pressure in November. But um, in terms of opponent strength, like before the season is over, that is probably I think the hardest game they're going to play this year. And it's you know when you play a team that's that good, like this isn't. I'll take a shot at TCU. This isn't TCU like really struggling against Colorado, who got smacked. Like I mean, they got spanked by Air Force this past weekend. Yeah. I mean, it'd uh, be like pathetic. Um, Colorado, like it wasn't TCU doing that. It wasn't. It wasn't Texas Tech like winning the game because Houston had a fourth and they had a fourth and 20 and three guys from Houston fell down. So they converted a fourth and 20 and tech pulled out the game. Like none of that, none of that stuff happened in this game. Like a really, really good opponent um, beat them. And sometimes like you just look at the game and go Baylor and then sum this up again. Like I I know, like I'm more obvious with that because I said it before and I'll say it again. Like Baylor, I think Baylor played great. I think BYU played better. Yep. And still, I, I, I am, I am still optimistic about the season. I'm optimistic about what's going forward. I, based off what I've seen right now, like I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna do real well. I don't like putting necessarily, on it, but you know, nine and three was my original prediction, and I, I have seen nothing that would make me think this team's gonna have more than two conference losses, barring some yep. significant issues. So, all right, Jeff has to get out of here in a few minutes. I'll sign us off real quick here, Jeff. Um, I just wanted to point out a, a lot of fans have pointed to the total penalties as a sign of failure for Baylor culturally in the sense of Aranda talked a lot about it all off season. One thing I wanted to point out is that when you watch that game, 
even though the even though the players seemed like the moment was pretty big for them, it didn't look like it overwhelmed them in the sense of it never caused their back to break. Um, and I think I feel like they were bought in. And so I, I you know I think this is very much a game to where they went through the storm and it's going to make them stronger and not because they failed necessarily. I mean, obviously they didn't win the game, but I don't think that they were broken. I think this was just like a tough experience. You know, Aranda said something post game that I really agree with, which was all the way up until the final play of the game, the team thought they were going to win. I felt like I felt that watching it live. They, I think they were, you know, they made a bunch of mistakes. That look in squirrel's eyes, man. I love seeing that. Like he wanted it, you know? Yeah. I, I think they I think they played really hard. I think they played well. I think they're young and immature. And I just I if you if if the fan out there is is you know there have been some questions in my mind previously. You and I disagree with this a little bit around um, some previous road performances under Aranda. I, I think that this this road performance was not the issues that I've had prior. You know. I think it's always worth pointing out that just because, you know, the process to me, and I think this is why I, I do trust Miranda more, the process of how you get the result is honestly more important in these non-conference games than the result itself. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that. Oh, yeah. And so the process of how they got there, I think, is going to carry over for them throughout the course of the season. And I'm I'm just excited for it. Like, I'm, I'm it's going to be really fun. And I'm, I'm yeah, just that. I keep saying the same things, but I'm I'm happy with where the team was. Like, yep. I don't I don't like losing or like watching the team lose. And I know the the those guys in the building hate that they lost. I'm yep. not saying that they're like you know gung ho about it. But if you're if you were in the building, you probably come out of that looking at it going, we got something. Yep. I think that's what they. Think. I really yep. think they, that's what they think, and we'll, we'll see more this week, and we'll see more this week. I, I'm I'm anxious to see the Texas State game because I, I want to see what the running backs do. That's my biggest. That's my biggest thing. What are those guys doing? How do they bounce back off of a mediocre offensive output? No other way to put it. Um, I think they can bounce back, and I I want to see them do it. Yep. So, yeah, there's a there's a play uh, where Quaylen Jones converted on split zone on like a third and seven, and afterwards you can see Ben Sims literally losing his mind with like in at like he was so happy that they convert like you could tell he was like we ran the ball on third and seven and we converted here. I think that was yeah. a positive sign of like you can see where this team is mentally like everyone's bought in the leaders are bought in. So anyway, um, that was a good hour, Jeff. Uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Um, this game isn't meaningless this week. I think Baylor should smother them. Um, but watch out for those things that we talked about. I think watching those running backs, like you said, is going to be very meaningful, Jeff. Um, thanks for your time, and hopefully we'll get to talk next week. Yeah. One thing for y'all, everyone else, if you really want to watch like a really close game, um, I would uh, I'd, inc- I'd encourage you to go watch A&M struggle again this week because <laughs> if, a- if you're an Aggie hater like myself – um, and you really enjoy like watching A and M get smoked Miami and all those great losses in in the two thousands. Um, go watch A and M this year because that if you want to see what a team that is yep. really struggle looks like, it's going to be A and M this year because they don't have a QB. Yep, and it's going to be causing some problems. Well, and we're Baylor, confident in Baylor because they have a great staff who's going to maximize what they have. I think you have to basically feel the exact opposite about what Jimbo's doing with that offense. I mean, good grief. Yeah, that was catastrophically bad. Like, I would be if I was an A and M fan, and that team with 
that recruiting class and the amount of money that they have walked into Jimbo sort of short of him, like committing a felony, $85 I would be, million. Dollars. I'd be like out of my mind right now. So <laughs> it's, it could be so much worse y'all. Like yep. it could be so much worse. You could be an Aggie. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I think we, we both love Jeff Grimes, uh, not love as in like personally or, you know, maybe personally, but, um, you know, I think we trust the staff to produce. Yep. Uh, there's no catastrophic, no catastrophic result in BYU. I think it was an amazing game. And like we said, BYU is a great team. So looking forward yep. to this week, really looking forward to Iowa State the next week. Hopefully the team, you know, the nice thing is these college players seem to just really be focused week to week. So. Uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about it next week, Jeff. Uh, but again, I think this was great. Uh, one of our better episodes. So much appreciated. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Jeff.